0: Well, hey everyone, good morning and welcome to Res City. Uh, my name is Joel and I am one of the pastors here uh, at Resurrection City. Just thankful to have you worshiping with us this Sunday morning, whether it is your uh, your, your first time here or your 200th time. I'm not even sure if we've... I'm trying to... I, yeah, I have to do the math on how many times we've even had Sunday morning worship together. But uh, whatever it is, we're, we're thankful to have you joining us. Um, today is a very special Sunday morning. Um, I don't think it's really an overstatement for me to say it's it's one of the most special days, I would say, in Red City's history as a church, um, in five years of, of being a church. And it's special because it fits some of our goals as a church at a large level, um, and we're excited to be accomplishing some of these things that we have wanted to do and be as a church ever since we, we planted about five years ago. Um, but also because kind of the person involved in this is so beloved by so many here at Res City. Is it just all of those things bringing together just make it incredibly special? Uh, we've been building toward it uh, for a little while. Now, uh, we're in a series right now. We have been throughout the fall um, going through the parables of Jesus, these stories of uh, the under- helping to understand the kingdom, understand what it is that, that Jesus was doing on earth and what he was starting. And at the end of uh, Jesus' ministry, in Matthew 28, uh, he gives this final directive to his disciples. And, and again, these parables are about helping uh, his disciples understand, him, understand his kingdom, understand what it means for them to be disciples. And what he tells them at the very end, before he leaves, is uh, that I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? This is his final call to his disciples. It's taken from Matthew twenty eight. If we take our call as disciples seriously, right? And I know so many people here do, right? When we talk about these parables we've been talking about, it's a challenge to us in a lot of ways for to, to grow as disciples and followers of Jesus. But one of the things Jesus tells us here is that we're not called to just care about our own discipleship. We're called to value and desire new disciples to be made who can grow in their own discipleship and followers of Jesus. And today is really all about us Really focusing in on a church on that second part, on growing the people's discipleship, not just here in our own midst, not among people that just go to Red City, but all across the earth. And Andrea today, Andrea Kidder, who we're going to be celebrating and commissioning as a church this morning, is doing something that, if we're honest, a lot of us won't. A lot of disciples of Jesus don't get to this point, right, where they take this as a summons to actually go, to be willing to say no to a lot of things and say yes to Jesus, and to give all of herself directly to this final directive of Jesus, to see his authority, his kingdom grow by making disciples. And so today is really about that, where we're celebrating and commissioning her to go out as a church. Now, a few of the parables kind of talk about how Jesus's kingdom grows, and we thought this makes sense for us to kind of uh, spend some time seeing what Jesus says about how his kingdom grows, how discipleship uh, um, propagates throughout the earth. And so we're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about these two uh, parables of Jesus that really get into how God's purposes grow in the world right? It kind of connects, I think, really directly to what it is that Andrea is going to be doing as she goes out. So it's going to be a little bit of a a quicker sermon. Let's just jump in. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will spend a little time just meditating on these two parables. Lord, thank you um, for today. Thank you. Uh, for the the regular reasons that we would gather here on a Sunday morning, God. Thank you that those are still true, that we can come together as your people. We can celebrate your son, Jesus. We can um, meditate on your word that you've given us. Um, but also, Lord, we thank you for um, the... the the specialness of today as well, God. Um, I pray that you would be with us as we, uh, as we do all of these things together as a church body this morning, God. Just be present with us, Lord. We, we don't want to do any of it without you gathered here with us in spirit, God. So please join us, please bless us, um, and please lead us into um, how you would like all of this to go this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now these two parables, like I talked about, that kind of really get into how, uh, what it looks like for God's purposes to grow in the world, they both come from Mark 4, and they're actually uh, given by Jesus back to back. So I'm just going to read them both together here for you. Mark 4, 26 to 32. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade." Now, the key idea here, I think, if we take these together and really consider what's going on, is that the kingdom is something that's supposed to grow like a plant. That's part of its nature. Just like a plant is supposed to grow, it's part of what makes it a plant. The kingdom is something that is dynamic. It's not theoretical, but it's real. It's alive. It's, it's bearing fruit in the world. It's kind of set out on the loose and is, is growing and flourishing. And it's not healthy if it's not growing. And we... If we understand the kingdom of God correctly, we should be desiring for it to grow as well. And Jesus uses these two stories together to kind of make this plain. Uh, One is about a regular growing plant and sort of just the nature of what that looks like. And then one is a little more specific. It gets into what it looks like for a specific type of plant, a mustard plant, to grow. So let's dig into them a little bit. I think it's helpful for us to spend some time trying to understand the context of these different parables. They take place in a different setting, a a different time in history uh, than we live in. And so it's good for us to pause a lot of times and meditate on uh, what is actually going on here. Now let's start with the mustard Uh, seed, okay? This is actually a picture of a mustard plant that we have on the screen here. Now, it's pretty, you know, self-explanatory. Mustard seeds were, unsurprisingly, one of the smallest seeds known in ancient Israel, yet they were renowned and well known uh, for how large of plants they could grow to. And so, they sort of represented a kind of paradox of how small the seed was, but for how large uh, uh, something could come out of such a small package, now, sometimes you'll, you'll hear of a mustard tree, if you've heard this parable before. It's actually not a tree. It's a vegetable plant, but it's one that can grow pretty tall. It can grow up to about, apparently, 10 feet in height. And it probably is, it's probably the black mustard uh, plant that uh, Jesus is thinking of here. Now, w- we have a lot of big trees where we live. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case in Israel. And so I was thinking of it like, you know, those giant uh, sunflowers that you see sometimes that kind of tower tower over us. Um, I wonder if if that's maybe a better image for what you're thinking of in your mind, for what kind of Jesus has in mind here. It's not necessarily a towering tree, but it is something uh, that kind of overshadows us. And we are, every time we see it, we're so excited and shocked about how big it's gotten. Now, the connection point to the kingdom here is that like a mustard seed, it seems shocking that something so small could become something so large, and Klein Snodgrass, he's a he's a, a a New Testament scholar who's written a lot on the parables. He says that the parable of the mustard seed addresses the unspoken question about the unimpressive and unexpected nature of the kingdom that Jesus claimed was already present. Could what was happening with Jesus and his disciples really be the establishment of God's kingdom? Was not the kingdom supposed to be a mighty display of God's defeat of evil and the removal of nations afflicting Israel? That was the idea of what it would look like when God would finally act in the world, that it would be something you couldn't miss, something unstoppable, something uh, that overpowers uh, forces in the world that are maybe uh, aligned against it. But instead, he says, Like the tiny mustard which grows into a large plant, so the kingdom is present, even if hidden, unnoticed or ignored, and its full revelation with its benefits will come. When you really think about Jesus' ministry, when you look at it and you read about it in the gospel, it's not the most impressive thing in the world when you just really consider what's going on. It started really small. It's, it's a little seed represented by what was an untrained rabbi, a guy whose background and his whole career up to that point had just been in uh, kind of construction, essentially. And... Uh, a ragtag group of a lot of fishermen and other kind of similar types of people that he gathered around him, blue-collar workers. That's what this was. That's what, that's what was going around spreading this message. He had no army. He had no marketing campaign where he's boosting his PR to try to sell people that something really special is happening. There's no focus groups that he's holding to try to figure out what people want and crafting his message according to it. There's no outside funding. There's no war chest that he has that he's using. There's no formal education, even, that he can fall back on and give a, uh, you know, his credentials to people to sort of assert some authority for why they should listen to what he's saying. And when people looked at it, they couldn't really deny that something was happening with him, but I don't think a lot of people really took it seriously because of all these other factors, why a lot of elites didn't really take him seriously, is because it seemed so unimpressive and small. And definitely not what a lot of people expected it would look like when God would come and bring his kingdom. Yet, Jesus predicted that this kingdom, though seemingly small and unimpressive, would grow into something as tall and as high as anything else in the world. And we have the benefit of hindsight on this, right? We can look back 2,000 years and just see what's happened since Jesus made this prediction in this form of this parable. And if we look at the history of the world, it's undeniable that what Jesus said is true. And that was precisely the point. It's always supposed to have been this way. It was always supposed to work like this. It was always supposed to grow from something really tiny into something that you could never guess could come from this initial package. And that's what the first parable is all about, now, the second parable, parable—it's actually, the second parable we'll talk about it's the first parable we read, actually, but that's a little bit more talking about how it grows. What does it look like for the kingdom to start small and then become something so large? And there's a, a couple verses in there that I think are key. Night and day, while this farmer is asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. Now, the farmer's not supposed to be anyone in particular. He's just kind of a stand in for us, I think. Um, and the point is that the whole picture is explaining what this kingdom looks like. Now, the point is that the farmer doesn't do anything. He's not like a super lazy farmer who is, doesn't, you know, just kind of lets it all grow on its own. It, he, we assume he's, a, he's like doing what farmers are supposed to do he's fertilizing, he's tilling the soil, he's watering, um, he's pruning. He knows these things are needed. He knows how it works in that sense. The point isn't that we don't do anything to aid the growth of God's kingdom and we can just sort of sit back and get uh, you know, on with our own lives, right? It's that the growth of the kingdom is organic. It's not something that people can micromanage or manufacture even if we'd like to try to. And I think that's a danger that we face a lot of times, whether in organized, actual ministry settings or even in our own hearts, We want to see the kingdom grow there. We can try to micromanage it or produce something on our own, not remembering it's God that causes the growth. And at the end of the day, we have to let it grow on its own. Because a seed can't grow any other way. It's something that is alive. It's organic. It grows without our assistance. That's the whole point of this. And so the kingdom, then, the point that Jesus is making is that it is pure, organic life from heaven, given from the life giver and it can't be contained. To me, so this tells you how my brain works. There's this great image from the movie Jurassic Park, I think, that helps to make sense of this. And I, I'm just gonna assume you've all seen the movie. It's been out long enough to where, if you haven't, that is on you. And I take no responsibility for spoiling a movie made in like 1993, okay? Um, if you remember the movie or if you haven't seen it, There's all these dinosaurs, it's these people, they're playing around with life, thinking they can kind of manage it and turn it into a theme park where these animals are going to be little pets that they can have people come and watch. And that's not what ends up happening. The the dinosaurs grow out of control. All these, uh, you know, businessmen and scientists who think that they can kind of micromanage the growth of these dinosaurs um, are proven to be wrong. Uh, and and it, it gets out of their control in a dangerous way at the very end of the movie. And it ends with the dinosaurs sort of taking over ownership of the island and forcing the humans out. And there's this great line, it's a little bit earlier in the movie, where uh, it, it, it's predictive. It, it, it's, it's actually proleptic. Uh, you can Google that word. That's a word I heard this week that is pretty good. Um, it's like a $10 word, isn't that what that's called? Um... It, it, it's, it's predicting what's going to happen to these people who are trying to, in a, you know, trying to micromanage the the growth of these dinosaurs, and it comes from a guy named Ian Malcolm, and he says, "Life finds a way." Life finds a way. It serves as a warning in the movie, but for us, it's a truth of how life persists and grows and flourishes. And the kingdom of God is pure life. It finds a way, and we can't always understand it, but it does grow. And there's some mystery to how it grows and how God works. We can't see it all the time. We can't study it. We can't forecast what it's going to do. It's not a science project. It's not a scientific theory. And we can see its effects, right? And we can try to understand them. Uh, And there are times where we can really, I think, get in there and try to get a sense for what it looks like. But we can't harness the power for ourselves. There's no predictive algorithm that's going to tell us what's going to happen. It's all God, to so maybe, maybe put it a little bit more simply, I have, a, I have a pastor friend, and he's been doing ministry for a very long time, and he's seen a lot of fruit over his time of ministry. But if you ever ask him, uh, if, he would, if he'd ever write a book, you know, to talk about what he did to kind of, you know, s- see all this fruit grow in his ministry, he would tell you, sure, I'd write a book, and it would be titled, Dumb Crap That I Did That God Blessed. And it would be a very short book, he said. In effect, that he says that he didn't know what he was doing, but the kingdom found a way to grow in his midst regardless. And it might not always seem impressive. It might not even seem like anything is happening, right? The top of the soil might block it off. We don't know what's going on under that soil, but it grows naturally, organically, even when we're going about our daily routines. It's unexpected. Sometimes it grows in scary ways, ways we don't expect it to that stretch us, make us uncomfortable. Right? God likes to do that. He likes to work through people and in places that we don't think he should. And when his kingdom grows in ways we don't expect, it actually gives us a chance to grow our own discipleship. Because uh, we can get too comfortable sometimes in previous works that God has done, but God is always on the move. He is always moving forward, he's always growing his kingdom, and he calls us to follow that growth wherever it's going to lead us. And that can stretch us, it can make us uncomfortable. And actually, I think the most fundamental, the most blaring example of all of this is the cross. If people thought Jesus' kingdom seemed unimpressive when he shared these parables, imagine what they thought when they saw him nailed to a cross. Or maybe they got the push notification in their phone the next day, right? Imagine what it would have read. Wannabe king gets executed by the state like all the rest, as, his mo- movement starts, as soon as his movement starts to gain any momentum. That's what everyone would have been thinking. It would have seemed like there is no possible way that what God was doing in the world would be centered on this, yet exactly what God was doing was centered on such an unimpressive moment of the cross. It's so fundamental to everything we do as a church. It's so surprising, it's so unexpected, it stretches us right? And that is exactly what God's kingdom looks like. Here we are. And nothing has impacted the world like Christian faith and the development of the kingdom of God. Now, let me close here with a couple of exhortations before we transition into the commissioning part of our service. I actually want to start uh, with Andrea. Andrea, trust God's kingdom to grow even when you don't see it. Do your work faithfully. Be diligent okay, water, fertilize, prune, till, right, put up tomato cages, you know, do all that stuff that you're supposed to do to be a good gardener, okay, do that stuff, right, you're not, you know, you're not going to Thailand for a vacation, right, but leave ample room for God to work, right, if you feel God leading you to do something, do it, even if the path seems obscured to you, even if you're not quite yet seeing anything grow, it seems like it might be blocked up by the soul, if the Spirit has led you somewhere, trust that it's growing, You have come to bring life to people. Life is on your side, and life finds a way. Even if it always doesn't seem impressive, and I'm going to guess there will be times where it won't seem that way even to you. Let me encourage you with a quote. This comes from a German pastor uh, in the 1600s, a guy named Philip Jacob Spenner. He's he's speaking to uh, other ministers. He says, Our fruit, like other fruit, must be born in patience, and the fruit in others must be cultivated by us with perseverance. If God does not give you the pleasure of seeing the result of your work quickly, perhaps he intends to hide it from you, lest you become too proud of it. Seeds are there, and you may think they are unproductive, but do your part in watering them, and ears will surely sprout and in time become ripe. Learn how to orient yourself to God every day, okay? to tune your ear to hear his kingdom growing, even if no one else can hear it, or even if it doesn't seem impressive in any way, and get up and keep doing the work. And eventually, I believe you will see that leaf blade push through. You'll see heads of wheat be formed, and finally the grain ripen. All right, now for us, as as, as the the people who are are sending and commissioning Andrea off today, we have to remember that the kingdom must be celebrated, stewarded, cherished, loved, and fought for. We have to cherish what's happening today as a church. We can't take it for granted what's happening Even when it becomes normalized. And maybe we are going to be separated by thousands of miles of distance, right, and several time zones. We're not going to see what's taking place, right? Or maybe it even seems unimpressive to us in some way. Okay, we're excited today. This is a big deal. We're trying to really celebrate this. I hope you're feeling excitement sort of running through your veins. But like, after Andrea's been gone for a little while, right? It'll be just become part of our normal rhythms, right, to receive updates from her, to maybe pray for her on a regular basis, to support her, right? This is just going to become normal to us, right? It's become part of our normal rhythms. And a lot of times when something becomes normal, we don't really notice what's happening because of it. And so we run the risk of not really respecting or, or trusting or, uh, or, or believing that God's kingdom is growing, that life has found a way through what we're doing, and we have to uh, be excited about that, find ways to cherish and steward that well, to resist uh, it becoming too normal and to see it as special and believe that even normal and unimpressive things are actually often the kingdom of God growing.